It's Monday, January 29th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 147 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thank you for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is cornetist, improviser, composer, administrator, curator, Taylor Hobinum. That's who you hear back there. He's a funny and intense guy, and today's a good one. Today on the show, Taylor Hobinum. Before we get started, uh, I just want to once again apologize for the, um, the cock-up last week with the uh, uh, putting the show up late. doesn't matter how busy I am, it's not okay. Uh, so, so that won't happen again, and I'm very sorry for, for, for that. Taylor Hobinum. I'm going to keep this kind of quick because my, my, my throat ain't so good right now. I've known Taylor for uh, many, many years, but, but only sort of peripherally. I mean, we have a lot of people in common, and we've always been friendly with one another, but, but this conversation today uh, is really the first time Taylor and I have ever sat down and, and really talked for, for any extended period of time. But I certainly have a lot of respect for Taylor, and uh, uh, you know, something that kind of comes up a lot on this show is is at least I feel like I talk about this a good bit is you know how I would like to see more musicians involved uh, in stuff beyond their their immediate musical and and career concerns. You know, for any scene to thrive, it really requires people to take on new roles, uh, stuff maybe they didn't have experience with before, but, you know, specifically in the case of music and specifically in the case of Taylor Hobynum, um, that means finding the place to play. That means booking the shows. That means, you know... Quite often, it, it means finding the funding for the projects, uh, not just for your own, but for people within the scene. That means starting record labels. That means any number of things. You know, it, it, it could be anything. It could be working the door at the venue. It could be, you know, any number of things. But this is really how you strengthen a scene and offer it some kind of structural integrity. And as much as I bemoan that, um, Quite frequently, uh, maybe not on the mic always, but certainly people who know me know this is something that I've, 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 I've belly ached about for quite a while. Um, I can't accuse Taylor of that. Taylor stays very busy and has stayed very busy uh, from a very young age. Some of you guys might uh, remember when Toma Fujiwara was on the show, um, I think a couple months ago. And he described uh, when he first became friends with Taylor uh, as teenagers, Taylor was was curating a series of concerts at an ice cream parlor in, uh, in outside of Boston where they grew up, you know, age 15. If you want something to happen quite often, you have to make it happen. I release my own records on my own label, and that's, you know, that's that's what that is. I wanted something to happen. It wasn't happening, so I had to make it happen. I think Taylor gets this. Taylor, uh, you know, is quite prolific as a musician. He's released a number of records. He has become a very close colleague and, and, and collaborator of the great Anthony Braxton. He helps administer uh, Braxton's organization, the Tricentric Foundation. 
Taylor was there at the very beginning of Firehouse 12 Records. He helped get that up and going. He worked for many years for the Font Festival. This is a lot of stuff. We talk about it a little bit today about, um, you know, I think I asked Taylor, you know, is it important for you to be involved with all this other stuff? And I don't think he says yes, but I think the answer is yes. I know for myself, you know, uh, I might complain about things, but I like doing lots of things, whether it's this podcast or, you know, um, some other projects that I'm working on right now that aren't exactly about, about my own music. I think it's important. If you're listening to this and you're a musician, you know, and, and, you know, or if you're a fan of music, you know, maybe it's good to think of things you can do. I don't know. I, I don't like to preach. Taylor has got a very vast world of output, musically and otherwise. And if you want to find out more about Taylor, go to taylorhobynum.com. It's a big world. taylorhobynum.com. If you're enjoying this show, please consider doing two things. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it in iTunes. And better yet, please consider throwing in a few bucks. Patreon.com slash 5049podcast. It's all there. And that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Taylor Hobynum. And I was complaining about how, like, I didn't have, I was going to have to practice much. My practice was really out. And, um... And he just casually mentioned, oh, yeah, every morning before work, you know, yeah. I will practice long tones for like an hour or two uh, while watching movies. So he's like, I get my practice in and I, you know, keep up with movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, no, completely. That it's, was like seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think I think he might have been the same person. And, and I was like, really, you're allowed to do it was like Nate told me that. I'm like, you're allowed to do that. And then one time I had a conversation with Dada where he's like, you know, every once in a while, you just got to put down the horn for three or four or five days. It'll so, help the chops. And that, so until that day, I'd been such a good practicer. And now with those, like, two of my, you know, favorite trumpet players I've, telling me, like, ah, fuck that. You can just I, I've heard what from other do. trumpet people. <laughs> That Wadada has made a similar comment, like, yeah. oh, you sound like you practice too much, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or you know, and it's like, I was just listening to that duo record the other day with him and Ed Blackwell. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. it's like the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of hear he doesn't practice every day. You know, my, my ear for trumpet isn't probably quite <laughs> as refined as yours, but it's like, well, if yeah. that's what you end up with is like... Perfect well, and that's music. true. And that's true. Like Don Cherry, like oh, and his chops were very inconsistent. There's some days where you could tell he probably hadn't picked up the horn for six months. Six months. But he sounds amazing because he probably been traveling around playing wooden flutes and like having you know conversations with people. But yeah, I mean, someone like that, their life is so much. I believe their life was so yeah. much more holistic about bringing in experience. Yeah, well, exactly. But but then he would still make music out of the horn. I mean, that's the same thing with. Uh, my one the, the Miles record that really changed one of the many Miles records that changed my life was Alive at Plug Nickel. And you hear mm -hmm. this, so he'd just gone out of the hospital, so he hadn't touched his horn for a month. And you would hear his chops are totally like rough. He can't do what he can usually do. And you hear him doing all the stuff you didn't hear otherwise, where he goes down to low register pedal tones to like open it up and then uh -huh. cracks all this shit up top. But it sounds amazing. You because know? you're listening to the way this person deals with mistakes? Or? Exactly. Both. I mean, both yeah. it opens up there's you know, again perfect technique isn't super interesting <laughs> at a certain point you know right. what i mean so like yeah how you how do you deal with this like this is what you've got and that's for a very technically imperfect trumpet player or cornet player now is myself right, 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 it, right. It's, it's a happy thing well you also hear so you hear how people deal with with mistakes and with challenges but then you hear like okay this, 
if you music the really abstract part of music the thing that you can't write down the thing yeah. that you can't you know that is the most ephemeral aspect of it you hear them working with that yeah yeah exactly um, which is i mean i've always loved my favorite trumpet player at the end of the day of all time is probably chet baker <laughs> i spend more time with his music than <laughs> yeah, anyone else and i like his singing more man that's, do that's you really oh i love chet baker I, mean, I love his singing yeah, yeah i love his but do you i always felt like or I, mean, I, I don't even know where i got this like he always wished he was playing trumpet when he was singing when he was singing I, I, yeah i could hear that i mean it's the phrasing stuff i mean you feel that but and that's after his teeth got knocked out and he was you know that's, speaking of nate it's funny we did this thing in amsterdam and we show up at the hotel they booked us at and it was the hotel where chet baker died oh when he fell out the window where he fell out the window but it's crazy the hotel like celebrates this fact they have a they have That'd like a plaque <laughs> they have like a plaque of chet baker. you're like and but it's like he either had nodded off and fallen out or he was thrown out the window by, by his the, dealer or right. something. like no one you know but you don't usually die falling out of a second floor window. I was about to say, it wasn't a very high floor. No, and you could see the room. And we were both like, yeah, we don't want to stay here. This doesn't feel like a you didn't want to healthy place for us. I would, have lo- I would love to stay there. Yeah, because you're not a trumpet player. <laughs> right. I mean, I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean that's no, it just it feels a little creepy. but It does yeah. feel creepy. And I won't. Let me, but let me, it was cool. It was good. <laughs> let me see how I can say this with not sharing anyone's identity i stayed a couple of years ago uh my wife and i took some time apart and a friend put me up in their apartment building for a few weeks uh, there was an empty apartment across the hall and it was the apartment where uh alan ginsburg used to live like a lot of those famous mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. photos where yeah. like with ginsburg um with uh, uh burroughs and kerouac wow. And the apartment was like had not been renovated, <laughs> and it was empty. And I stayed in there for like two weeks, just this with is where no. Burroughs vomited when cold turkey. It was super fucking eerie. I have photos of myself in that apartment, and it is so eerie. It is so creepy. So I, yeah, I mean, if you had said to me, "Hey, you want to go sleep in uh, the old beat apartment?" I'd be like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> Until I got there, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, they weren't they weren't doing so well in those years." <laughs> yeah, like that's oh yeah, they were before they were famous. They were. Uh, they were desperate and obscure. But those guys, I mean, Ginsburg lived in the, like a crummy East Village apartment until the day he died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like on um, 10th Street. Well, you think you take pride in that at a certain point, you know? I get, yeah. That, that's what New York has lost, is the people. Living in shitty apartments? <laughs> Living in shitty apartments. It, well, when, when yeah. did you leave? You live, you live, you never lived in Manhattan. I lived in Brooklyn when I was in New York, in Red Hook. Yeah. Um, but I moved. It's been a while now. 08, yeah, almost 10 years. It's like 10, 10 years. years this fall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. Did you, when you left, I always feel like I have these like panic attacks at night while I'm sleeping. I'll wake up, I'll be having a dream that like I left New York with a feeling that like, yeah, I, I didn't do it. And, uh, no, I, 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 I feel, did you, was there any of that when you thought about moving? Like, well, no, I, no, yeah. I didn't. I'm just, I'm just so supremely confident in my accomplishments. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I, I think I just early on accepted my failure in obscurity. So yeah, oh, yeah. might as well be in a place with a tree. If, yeah. if you're not, because you, you wait, New Haven, New Haven. Yeah, you yeah. actually live in the town of New Haven. Yeah, dude, yeah. it's fucking nice there. It's nice. It's nice, and it's 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 what worked out is, I think. I've, it's close enough to New York that I can do anything I really want to do. Right. If there's any good opportunity, I've never been a have to. I've never had to turn down something I really wanted to do right. because it's too far. Right. It's far enough away that there's been you know that it can kind of give you excuse to do stuff you don't want to do. Um, Wait, what, what do you mean? You mean to bag it to like get get out of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like there's a point in our lives where we don't want to play fifty dollars gigs in Williamsburg anymore. You know what I mean? And you're 50, like, haven't reached it yet. 50, still doing it. Fifty dollars is a pretty good hit for, <laughs> for Brooklyn. I know. It's like, okay, it's five dollars yeah, in Williamsburg yeah. anymore, or Bushwick. Or yeah, whatever. I don't really do that anymore. But I also like 
I, I actually, you know, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you and ask you yeah. your opinion on this. Like, at some point, I started becoming more selective and saying no yeah, to yeah. more of that stuff. To the point where those, uh, I don't even get those invitations yeah, yeah, yeah. anymore, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. oh, what, what's? Yeah, yeah, I know. There's, there's that. Did I fuck there. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's. I'm with you on that. <laughs> but um, I still think it's. I think one of the dangers of New York. I think space and time is as important to the creative process as like community and activity. Yeah, you know. And so I definitely got to the point where I wanted to be able to develop projects as opposed to hustle gigs mm-hmm. you know and i feel new york because of the pressures of new york tra- sometimes not exclusively sure and my my and my dear all of my dear new york city friends who give me shit for dogging new york can call me out on this right but, but uh and i still use the, they're all the musicians i want to work with so there's still so there's that. the beautiful thing about new york yeah. is that there's a depth of musicians that they're not gonna get anywhere else yeah but just the, yeah, you get trapped on the hamster wheel, man, and and it's you know you're. You, what does that hamster wheel look like? Because sometimes I feel like I've been. <sighs> what does that hamster wheel look like? Because I don't know anything about the hamster wheel at this point. Well, but no, but you, but you, but you've done, but you've extracted yourself from that. You've done projects as a composer, as mm-hmm. a, as a something even like this podcast. Like right. you've done things that aren't about just trying to hustle for another shitty door gig, you know. Right. But I think so much energy goes into trying to make that scene and do that 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 it that it 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 hurts the music you know yeah. and, and i talked to friends of mine who moved to new york in the 60s you know i was and they're like yeah when i moved to new york it's like the average gig paid 50 bucks and my fifth floor walk up in the west village was 50 bucks a month yeah and now it's like the average gig pays 50 bucks, 50 bucks. and your fifth floor walk up on the west village is like 7.3 million dollars right. or something you know what i mean like it's, it's it's stupid yeah so it's it's price it's I think there's still the depth of musicianship and creativity and diversity here that's unequaled and exciting and amazing, but it's it's it is definitely in danger of pricing itself out of being a cultural capital. And I think for me, it, yeah. there wasn't if there was like as you said, like the beat scene, like all the hip poets are hanging out in like a three block radius, hanging out and making stuff happen. Yeah, there'd be a reason to stay there. But by the mm. time I left already, it's like I'd have one friend who lived in Washington Heights, another person who's in Jersey City, and I'm in Red yeah. Hook. It's like I might as well be it's in New Haven City, at yeah. that point. Yeah, like yeah, you're not, yeah, yeah. there's not be it, it there wasn't the economic ability for there to be one neighborhood or location where you could have a critical mass of people to mm-hmm. ma- to make it worth staying in that area mm-hmm. you know and i get to see in some ways i'd actually say i see my friends in new york more since i moved out of new york because i crash at their places when i come to the city <laughs> right but you know but like and I, but i actually make the time to see them you yeah. know what i mean like where you know so so i haven't felt it's impinged my creative practice no i wouldn't think that it had i mean just actually before you came over i was reading about um I've been having this burning itch lately. Like, it's getting, it's getting, like not physically, but it's, okay, good. I, I got some cream for that. Yeah. Man. I'm, I'm, you know, no, this thing's been eating at me more and more about wanting to start a business, like an actual brick and mortar business. And <laughs> as the ideas like swirl around yeah. in my head of like what that would look, I'm actually reading about you know how to create a business plan yeah. and all this stuff. I cannot end the thought process without like, well, that's a terrible idea. Like it's so cost prohibitive to open a brick and mortar business that I would want yeah. to be involved with that I mean, there's just no way it wouldn't fail. But I think, but I think I, I would almost say you could take that analogy and that's one of the dangers of living in a city with the economic pressures of New York is that that mentality takes over into our artistic practice. It's absolutely you know, like, like saying like, I want to do something really crazy and ambitious, but f- fuck, there's no way I could ever make that happen. Like right. there's no place I, we couldn't, I couldn't afford rehearsal space. I couldn't get the musicians together. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And like it, it, I think 
as I mean, that's one of the nice things about having Braxton as, an, as a mentor and influence is, you know, <laughs> practicality has never entered into his creative sure. process. Sure. And so, you know, I, I think we have to think crazy. And, and sometimes we don't quite get to the crazy thing we conceived of, but even trying to do that will get us somewhere more interesting. That's absolutely you know? right. That's absolutely I mean, right. It's like I started a big band because people kept telling my sextet was too big to tour. So I was like, cool. So I'll, I'll double start, it. Start <laughs> triple, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so I, I'm going to make sure I don't have any gigs. I'm going to get rid of that risk. But, right. But you know. No, but that's that kind of outrageous thinking is honestly eludes most people, but I think leads to the biggest breakthroughs. And someone like in my life who's been very um, illustrative of that is Zorn. Mm-hmm. And you look at something like the Stone. If you if you just say anyone, hey, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna lease a retail space in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan. I'm going to <laughs> keep zero profits, and I'm not gonna sell the one thing that every other live music venue depends on selling to make real money. Yeah, you know, and boom, 15 years later, whatever the fuck it is, like it's still the place to play. Yeah, no, but that's I think, and I think that's I think it's funny, man. I feel sometimes our generation is is perhaps more functional than some of the previous generations in the experimental music world. Uh-huh. Like we're all like pretty good about like paying our bills and like keeping our shit together and like maintaining healthy relationships. At a sacrifice though. Often. Yeah, but there's there's definitely the 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 brave the the courage to just go for the insane whatever happens uh-huh. that I think we have lost. But in some ways one of the reasons we've lost that is because the pressures of maintaining a lifestyle have become greater. Yeah. You know, the pressures that the, the expectations that, you know, you can almost be crazy and you might still luck into a record deal or get an agent or help you get work. Like we have to be small business people in a horrible way even uh-huh. though we're selling a product nobody likes that we love more than anyone else. <laughs> so, which is definitely a problem when you're opening a business. Yeah. But we we're forced to be practical in a way maybe the previous generations have, but I feel we've taken that too far. Like, I think, I don't think exclusive, I think we're, there's a lot of people in our generation and younger doing great shit, mm-hmm. but I think we have to remember to look to those guys and people like Zorn and people like Braxton and people like generations before them. Yeah. We're just like, fuck it, I'm going for it and 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 I'm going to risk, and it, you know, it's going to be, it might not work out, I might end up, you know, I might bottom out, but I got to go for it, you know? Yeah. And I think there's something, our... But, you know, I had this really scary conversation with John about a year or two ago where I was, you know, I was asking him for advice. I was feeling really sort of like down in the dumps about certain things, feeling like, you know, pro- progress wasn't happening quick enough. And, da, 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 da. and, you know, he said to me, he was like, look, if I was yelling in New York, I would go to the farthest reaches of New York City. I would rent a cheap, tiny corner of a basement somewhere for as little money as I could. And I would just sit down there and write music all day. Mm-hmm. And it's like you pro- you propose that to anyone we know, they're gonna be like, no, that's fucking crazy. I'm not gonna do that. But but it's like those dudes actually did that. Yeah, yeah. That's what they did. And I also, I don't even argue whether it has to be in New York anymore. I mean, I think again, yeah. it's tricky because I feel like the musicians you know who were never in New York. Sometimes there is an edge you get. There is yeah. a, there is like a challenge of being here that is. But with those guys, all those guys from like that, you know, age yeah. sixty to eighty, like those dudes really put their money where they're oh totally, or they put their ass, you know, like yeah, yeah, they yeah. really yeah. went yeah. out on a limb, and you could sense it, like. I've only really become cognizant of that recently where I'm like, sometimes if I feel like an older musician is being condescending to me in any way, I'm like totally forgiving of it now because <laughs> I probably deserve it. And like yeah, those yeah. guys really, yeah. you yeah. know, or I, you know, and I definitely won't mention names for this, but I've heard various musicians from that mm-hmm. generation like speak disparagingly of younger musicians um, not being more savvy about negotiating fees with promoters overseas. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. to, to, it, and it's a good point, which is like we busted our ass 
to, to get to raise these the kinds level. of yeah, fees. Yeah. And then you're taking it for too low just because you want the gig. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's, and that's the danger. I mean, that's, and that's one of the dangers, I think, when... I mean, it's also, I mean, it's funny now that I have a great new job that I'm really happy about teaching in an institution. But Wait, do you do the, that? I just started. Where? Uh, at Dartmouth College up in I New Hampshire. Yeah, All right, yeah. We'll, get, we'll get to that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. great, which has been amazing. Yeah. And the support they're providing is amazing. But it's also a danger. The institutionalization of creative music is a very dangerous thing. And the fact I would say that so. we have a generation that mostly first encountered it in that context. And so it encountered it in an institutional institutional context where you expect, oh, I'm going to get a little budget from the music department or, you know, I'm going to get a grant to support this stuff. And I think we it's the, there's a level of, I don't, I don't want to use entrepreneurialism because that implies a capitalist model, but like a level of like initiative, desperate initiative to like do anything it takes to make your work happen. Mm-hmm. But I feel that we are in danger of losing, you know, and it becomes, if it gets too comfortable and too easy or it becomes too grant dependent or institutionally dependent, um, the music has to happen regardless of that. It's great when those things come around to support it and all power to the, yeah. the, the, the few funders and institutions out there that are funding it or teaching it. But we can't wait for that as artists. We have to like be willing to like, or f- desperate enough to find some way to make the work happen regardless. You mm-hmm. know? And I think sometimes, again, I think our generation that came up in that bubble is too dependent upon that bubble to let it happen. You know? well, see, I, I, what, what I fear and what makes me worried and, and I, for myself, but and certainly for others, is I feel like it's actually gone past that to the point of, you know, there, there's always been this sort of like thing with musicians where it's like, you know, do, uh, how important is it for me to exist within the marketplace? Mm-hmm. How important is it for me to exist within the institution? You know, and and you know, for the most part, I don't think musicians, if if checks are coming in, I don't think they get too hung up on <laughs> where they came from. Yeah. But it's just become. The reality, I'll say in the last 10 years, the reality of, of the way the world works, of, of where the money is funneled to, it's become clearer and clearer and clearer that for fewer, fewer and fewer people are going to be able to earn a living from performing music. Um, you know, the best that, at least this is what I'm seeing that one could hope for is kind of like what happened with you, which is, you know, at a certain point, maybe get a university job that is going to offer the kind of stability that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. someone who's not a kid anymore really needs. Yeah, absolutely. And it came at a good. I mean, I, 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 I've considered quitting music. I think it's healthy if as one's a musician to consider quitting every three or four years. You yeah, because you know, you, right, have right. To, you have to question like, do I really? Is this what I really want to do? And because it's, 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 if you're doing it to make money or be famous you definitely chose the wrong music you, you know? chose <laughs> like the, you, you really but then people get really angry and bitter about not being more famous or not making the, more money but, but even, the, even on the then, levels the that we're on just gets the smaller and smaller no, and smaller exactly. and it's like the resentment I, it gets so misplaced because like what are you upset about? you're upset that like yeah exactly you didn't like, get your big shot at the vision festival yeah, or exactly no exactly. you know a roulette it's, gig it becomes yeah it becomes it becomes very bizarre and it, especially and it's where a small enough scene in a small collect that that it really behooves us to be supportive of each other in every That's instance right. you know That's like right. every time anyone that i respect on any level gets a job or gets a grind or gets anything we have to celebrate that miracle. as opposed to be like why wasn't it me yeah. <laughs> you know but i think the attitude be, again it, be, it it breeds a certain certain level of competitiveness to say why wasn't it me but it shouldn't but we have to we need to like shout to the rafters anytime anybody good has yeah. anything could happen to them because as a field as a as a general community it's not even just marginalized because marginalized you have to be like noticed enough to be put in the margins you know <laughs> i mean we're it's 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 so at the outskirts of a of a popular entertainment culture based purely around marketplace principles you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. and so i think yeah we need to find ways to do that the the 
the this teaching job came at a perfect time for me because it's very supportive of my practice. They really, you know, respect what I do and it's great. But it came at a time again at one of those sort of like three, four, five year times where I was really ready to be like, if does if something doesn't come together, maybe it's time to hang it up. Like maybe but it what makes are you more do like. Well, I think I mean, I, that actually would be that. That's a longer conversation. But I would say. <laughs> for a while, actually, the previous time that I was at the Albert Eiler box set. Yes, I love that box you set. Had yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the digression. It's a nice little office in here, man. Um, I'm not dodging the question. Right, <laughs> right, right. I, no, I've, I do believe most of the people involved in this music are smart enough and creative enough that they could figure out another way to make a living. You know, I think we all are. And I think it's actually getting rid of that fear helps. Like, me, I've always had that feeling. Like, what am I going to do if I get out of this music? Like, Part of me is like, I want to be, I could, I'll, and of course the things I naturally lean towards are equally desperate and impoverished. Like I'll become a, I'll teach literature <laughs> right? or I'll work, that's like, how you buy the second or I'll home. do like a social justice work, right. <laughs> you know, great. No, those are, but that's okay. I've never been super materialistic anyways, but the stepping out of music and I was doing a little bit of volunteering when the last about four or five years ago when I'd last had my every four year yeah, 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 yeah. personal crisis had stepped out and was doing a little bit of organizing on mass incarceration issues just very light like helping some organizations out and doing some writing uh-huh, for them uh-huh. and i realized what was actually encouraging to me was i figured you know i know how to write and i've done a lot of writing and that translates to anything people always need writers you mm-hmm. know um you know i've worked as a grant writer before for fund i've worked right. for organizations i've done that i've worked you know done some journalism work so i could do that but then I also was like, you know, that translates, that translated to organizing, or translated to, that translates to almost anything. So that's a usable skill. What was inspiring to me, exciting for me, is actually I realized that the creative modeling that I developed as a musician translated directly to other things. You know, being able to deal with like a diverse population of different generations and different backgrounds to like come on board for like a shared, yeah. for like a shared commitment. That absolutely translates, you know, to like look at a given situation and come up with a creative solution to that. Like to take a to take a structure and improvise one's way one's way through it to come to something interesting. Mm-hmm. That those were strong skills and those are skills that are necessary. You know, so I think there's a lot that we do as creative musicians, composers, improvisers that really do translate outside of that world. But you just have to convince someone of that. Yeah, you do. And but but I think you can always you can convince anyone if you are if you are I mean this is how I've made my living as a musician. Right. If if you're effective and efficient and like if you help out, you'll find work. If you help out. Yeah, if you like help make stuff happen, you know? Yeah. Like if if you're if you're if you're useful, <laughs> you know, be useful. And the skills we get as musicians, if applied correctly, make you very useful. Mm-hmm. So understanding that I could leave music actually helped me and got rid of that fear of like, oh man, I'm doomed. If I leave music, I'm doomed. I got nothing else. Mm-hmm. Realizing, no, I got some I got some applicable, applicable skills and experiences that could translate to multiple different fields and actually be useful and be valuable that actually allowed me to recommit myself to music because I didn't have that like yeah. so I could be like you know I can just do what I want to do and if I don't make it if I if I if it if I bottom out I can step away and it actually gave me that hope to be able to willing to step away you know what I mean yeah you know but that was also but that's one of the advantages of stepping outside of New York is that you know I didn't have the 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 both the competitive pressures and the financial pressures of being in the city so it also it it gives me a little more breathing room to think that way I think yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> you, sound totally, you sound totally unconvinced. <laughs> no, no, I was just, you know, there's like two things, that, you know, I could, I mean, I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day who um, is in the food world and he's like me. Like, we're both, you know, like 
don't have college degrees. Like, I, I, if I went to a job fair, they'd be like, well, what, what can you do? I'd be like, I, I kind of know music, I kind of know food, and I know podcasting. <laughs> like, these are arguably the worst <laughs> skills that one could have when trying to, you know, bring in some real money. You know, and he, this is my friend, too. He's like, all yeah. I've ever known is working in restaurants. He's like, and I yeah. hate restaurants, and I'm fucked, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, yeah. yeah, you kind of are. But I would, you know, I, I think I, it's funny for me to say this. I'm a very cynical, dystopic person. Yeah. But I'm going to take the optimistic path here. I think, and I felt this throughout my like the principles that we apply to our music of like investigation, experimentation, uh-huh. dedication, right? And that we've honed like to get as far as we have in this field. That translates anywhere. If we apply those same skills, it's that true. same that that same those same principles, we can make something happen. It's true. We don't have to wait for something to be given. We can make something happen. You know. I mean, and I so would I, say like very quickly, and this is you know a very small example of that. But you know, for years I managed you know restaurants and <clears throat> no questions asked. Did a, a direct skill from from music that came, that brought its way mm-hmm. over there um, was stepping into an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, once you sort of get comfortable with playing music in front of people, the idea of walking up to someone and and just getting right into it, it it's it, it's not difficult at all. And people yeah. were always like, "Man, that's crazy that you can yeah. just go talk to someone like that." Yeah. And, but that, that, yeah, that's a confidence, absolutely it's an improviser's confidence. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you, okay, I can figure out the situation. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but I, so you've always, I remember, I had Toma Fujiwara here recently, and he was telling me that. That you were organizing concerts around Boston when you were like twelve at an ice cream parlor or something like that. Fifteen. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of misremembered it. <laughs> um, was it an ice cream parlor? Yeah, I had I had a great job at an ice cream store, and my boss and I asked my boss if I could do a weekly gig there, and she said sure. So because you were already playing trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just started improvising. I started. I'd met uh, Bill Lowe, who sort of been was my first like gateway tuba player. Yeah, tuba yeah. player, bass trombone, who still plays with me today. He's one of my oldest, dearest yeah. friends, and he, but he was my first sort of music of my many musical fathers. He was the first one, and uh, so I started improvising and started being like, oh, I, I like doing this stuff. This is right. this is more fun. Um, and I asked my boss, and she was cool. So I started just with my own band. We did a weekly gig there, but then soon we didn't want to play every week. And there's nothing other groups. So I started booking other bands in Boston at this ice cream store. Where, where um, in Boston? Uh, it was in Brooklyn Village, right uh-huh. across the street from the Brooklyn Village Tea Stop on the Green Line. Uh-huh. Tuesday's ice cream is a great place. Great ice cream too. Yeah. yeah. And we would actually pay the band. We couldn't, uh, so we pay the bands in ice cream. We basically be like, do the like. We can't promise any money, but we'll give you all the ice cream and pie and cake you want. Um, and people were into that. And we actually would pack the place. It was great. It was funny. There was. They, uh, um, next door to us was the like the local like independent arts weeklies. It was called the Improper Bostonian at the time, or right. one of them. Boston, the, I think the Boston Phoenix was the big one, but the Improper Bostonian was a upstart sort of local arts weekly. And so they actually did us they <laughs> they did a free advertising campaign for us of like jazz and ice cream because they just got they thought it was so funny. So they did this whole thing of these like film noir ads of like he walked into the bar. You know, the cool sounds of the saxophone <laughs> hit his heartstrings, reminded him of the woman he'd lost. Said, make it a double chocolate chip. <laughs> you know, like, like the whole thing. You know, they did yeah. like the whole jazz and ice cream thing. So it was great. Yeah. It was fun. Did you get an itch um, instantly for, for being the person organizing the thing? Was that no, satisfying? I, no, it's, I hate that. <laughs> it's yeah. miserable, man. You know, you've done yeah, enough yeah, organizing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally miserable. Nightmare. But it needs to happen. I, I think it was more, I got doing that, and by that, I found it was a great way to meet other musicians. And yeah. like a great way to get stuff happening. So, you know, it 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 it, it generated what it, what it, 
I, I did the work to generate. I did the work I didn't like to generate what I did like, which was creating a space for me to get together with <laughs> the people I like to make music. Yeah, you know? and so I think, and that, but I do think that's a lesson that I carried, have always carried. You know, and that's the work I've always done is is yeah, you know, generate the opportunities to create the space you want. You know, yeah. Who did you get that from? One of your parents, or I don't know. <laughs> I always, Maybe. I, I always I watch mean, my mom do that. Yeah, which is my where mom, I feel yeah, like I yeah. got it no, from. I think, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. My mother's always been very independent and very and very together. Is your mother? Where's she from? She's Chinese. She's yeah, Chinese. China. Yeah. She was born in China. Came here. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think there's some, there's definitely some aspects of my approach which I think included a sort of a attention to and reverence of my elders and interest in helping them out. Uh-huh. You know, um, that definitely comes from that sort of that up I don't think that's exclusively that but it's, were, you, it's were your parents married growing up uh, they split up when I was like six yeah so, so and she was single or she early. got married right away she was single the whole time yeah single moms yeah started like, her own business yeah. like you know ran a B&B out of the home then became a real estate agent yeah. but like did her stuff and like made it happen that kind of resourcefulness absolutely no I think that's I think that's that's very true that's very true um, yeah yeah I mean it's, I, it's funny because like I grew up with a single mom I have one half of my parents as immigrants. My wife's parents, you know, are from another country. And there's something about immigrant parents, um, or at least of our generation. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's like now for, for young immigrants raising children. Mm-hmm. It's, I imagine it's pretty bad given everything that's going on. But <laughs> God, yeah. uh, like there, there's a resourcefulness you see uh, in people who come yeah, to this country yeah. and figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, I think that's probably true. But it also came, but for me, very quickly, I mean, that was the thing that was really lucky for me meeting Bill at a young age, Uh because I was in Boston, which is really dominated by all of the, like, miseries of contemporary jazz pedagogy, you know? Because of Berkeley. Berkeley Yeah, yeah, the whole sort of, like, summer camp to do your 251s approach to this music, which is uh, useful in its way, but has its large issues. But Bill was someone who came up, you know, who who had played with everyone from... You know, like Frank Foster and Thad Jones to like Henry Threadgill and Muhal Richard Abrams. You know, mm-hmm. to have someone like that and say like, no, yeah, I know the Young Lions. And Wait, was the, he ACM? Uh, he wasn't. He came okay. up in New York, but okay. uh, he he, but uh, just to be like that's that the whole spectrum. But he introduced me to the ACM when I was like sixteen. You know, really? like, and he introduced me to the ideas that that the the spectrum of the music was this whole thing, and the history of the music was people making it happen for themselves. Yeah, and that and that the music was not about what a set of patterns you play over a certain kind of chord changes, but was a process of like committed self discovery, cultural examination, and like revolutionary thought. You know what I mean? So like he was presenting something so different than what you were getting in most jazz programs at that time. And I just kind of like stumbled into that at sixteen, and then and at eighteen, immediately you were like, I, I prefer this over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's what makes sense to me, you know. And then at eighteen, I met Anthony, you know, and went to Wesleyan and got started working with. Wait, Ed so did you go to Wesleyan because of Anthony? Or no, I wanted to go to a liberal arts school with a good music program. I'd heard of, you know, I'd heard of him, but I didn't know. I didn't come in as like, oh, I'm a Braxton fan. I want to check it out. Right. I had heard like, oh, there's this guy. He seems really important in the music. So that you knew he great. was kind of a giant. Yeah, but world. I didn't know yeah. any. I did, really didn't know his music specifically. But then, you know, I I got there and I drank the Kool Aid real fast. You know? He he serves up a nice glass of Kool Aid. Oh my God, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's and but again, the same thing. Like his whole that's and that then that whole methodology that the ACM was a part of. But again, it goes back into the music, back to Ellen. You know, like mm-hmm. Ellington made money from his pop hits and paid his band out of pocket because he needed to keep that band together. He, you know, he, yeah, he couldn't stay in segregated hotels, so he bought a Pullman car. You know, yeah. like had his own train so they could yeah. sleep in the train. Like 
the musicians, there's there's something particularly in the history sort of like African-American creative music, but not exclusively. Charles Ives is doing the same thing. You know, right. like Henry Cowell was doing the same thing. Right. There's Henry Harry Parts is doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like the weirdos in America have always been ignored, but have always made shit happen on the highest level. Yeah. Like, and that's of the many things that one can be depressed and embarrassed about this country about. <laughs> like that artistic legacy of like the outsider artists fighting for their shit and making it happen is is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, so, and I think, and I think, uh, and many of those people were either from disenfranchised communities or children of immigrants or, you know, that, that, that's, that's part of the American, the story. Yeah. But that's, but I think, and that's where this music as creative music, as the process of creative music of like fighting for something different and trying something out, it, it's very forgotten now. And I think not, not, uh, not uncoincidentally completely uh, marginalized again, as we said before, but, mm. That is the that is that's something extraordinary, you know. Mm -hmm. That tradition is extraordinary, mm -hmm. and so I think it, it, you know, being a kind of nerdy kid, I was like, that was what attracted me, like that that movement. It wasn't just the notes that, you know, so and so was playing. It was like the context of their lives that I found very exciting. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 across the board, that's always been compelling to me. And actually, right now with um, a lot of what's going on, it certainly presented a challenge. Uh, because the other side of people, like you know what you just described, you, you know uh, another side of it is when you have artists whose work you love, whose personal lives um, <laughs> maybe uh, are a little yeah. less than savory. Some of our heroes would not have like passed in the Me Too generation. <laughs> I was just read. I mean, I, I assume you've read Miles' autobiography. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that he describes that scene as a young like, man in the back of the cab with Charlie Parker, and Charlie yeah. Parker is you know uh, receiving oral sex from a woman while eating fried chicken. And it's like that would have ended his career today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. but but no, but uh, I've always had this uh, this stance, and it's a popular stance up until recently, which is like, look, I'm not, I don't care about these people's personal lives. I'm just interested in the work. Well, I think, but now yeah. I, I have to ask if that's okay. I think it's. I think the problem. I, I think we just have to embrace humanity in all its complexity, and we can critique things, but we also have to, you know. I think it's. I. I, I yeah. Yeah, I think we have to. I, I think knowing that our heroes were in many ways profoundly flawed uh -huh. is a healthy thing. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we need to throw out why they're our heroes. Right. But we need to extract that. I mean, it's the same thing with the music. I mean, if we we don't want to adopt any model wholesale, you like extract what you find most important and you discard the things that don't seem to relate. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, I think we need, and, and I think we can do that. I think we're. I, I like to think we're smart and subtle enough creatures yeah, yeah, yeah. that we can you know love somebody and hate some of their action or love someone's work and hate some of their personal choices yeah. or and or love someone's personal choices and hate their work <laughs> you know what i mean i mean that, that happens too there's some people i got an argument know. with someone about that recently yeah. uh coincident i've made this mistake twice and <clears throat> where i put something up on social media see that's the problem you already, <clears throat> unaware, you already messed up man yeah. you already went on social media unaware that something had happened mm -hmm. um you know, and really upset some people. Just watch the Louis C.K. special. So funny. I love <laughs> Worse it. Worse than that. Worse than that. I had put up this thing uh, in my entire life, since I was a little kid, I've been deathly allergic to the music of Steely Dan. Mm -hmm. I hate it more than any sound on planet Earth. Kind of 
Yeah. And I and I put up this thing like I was like and I said oh, no, the guy is just died. the guy died oh, like in, that day. Up. So all these people I, I had no idea. All these people fucking piled on me, you know, about, you know, all, you know, shit and how he was actually That's a hilarious. sweet guy. Yeah. And I ended up I ended up at this thing where I was like, "Hey, you know what? Just like you can love someone's work and hate who they are as a person, you can love who they are as a person <laughs> and, and hate their work." Their work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he was a sweet guy. Yeah. Made the worst music I yeah. could ever imagine. Yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I agree. On all those, but that's but but again, I think that the, the that's one of the dangers I think of the current well social media social is. media is is that the, the the subtlety of that argument, the subtlety of like there is there is there is ambiguity, there is gradation, there is there is things that can't be black or white is lost, you right? Know? And I think that's and especially coming out of a musical tradition that for me, what the unknown, the uncertain, the un un you know unestablished is the exciting part. You right. know what I mean? That's where it's great. That's what has always attracted me to it, and that right now we're in a cultural moment where both sides of the political divide are are leading towards absolute truths and absolute generalities that weirdly completely conflict with each other. Is I it- just watched this interview with Barack Obama today. There's a new thing on Netflix. Dave Letterman's got a new show where he does long-form interviews, and the first one's with President Obama. Hmm. And he makes this point where he says, you know, uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion, you, you're not entitled to your own yeah. set of facts, but if you watch like Fox News and you watch NPR, like you're living in two different worlds. You're literally yeah. living in two different yeah. worlds. Like, and there's that's a very serious flaw and a very serious threat to what democracy is supposed to be. <laughs> that's a, I've, I've been having mixed feelings about democracy recently, but that's <laughs> I don't know what it is anymore. I know it's uh, all right. Yeah. What, what year did you start at Wesleyan? That must have been like what mid nineties? Ninety one? Ninety one? No, ninety. Two, three, four, five. No, three. Ninety three. Sorry, okay. <laughs> My math is bad. Yeah. And Braxton, he had just started like in ninety one. He started right. a couple years earlier. Right. Yeah. So that would have been like what? What period was he just leaving? He had just finished his classic quartet. Yeah. So just started, just started the ghost trance music. Yeah. Which was actually an, an amazing time to be with him because, um, well, it was an amazing period. I just happened to be there where like a bunch of really good musicians were there. There was a really exciting co- like people who both Me, were students student and graduate students, but also people who just moved to Middletown because Braxton was there. And where there's really? a lot of like people in their twenties and thirties. Anthony's thing was like, if you're serious about the music, you can play in my class. I don't care if you go to Wesleyan or not. Yeah, you know, which is a kind of a beautiful attitude, you know. Yeah. And so it was. So it was this, and it was great for me as an eighteen, nineteen year old to start playing with guys in their thirties who were there, you know, to study with Anthony. So it, it sort of immediately set up a different kind of. Is interesting. Both my first two main mentors, Bill and Braxton, I both met in institutional settings. Bill was teaching at a local university in Boston in my Sorry school. about all that construction. Oh, that's okay. yeah. Actually, I walked and I thought someone was playing tuba. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I met them both in institutional settings, but they're both people that acknowledge that they're getting that support from that institution, but were willing to, but were insisted that one had to work outside of it simultaneously and both invited people from the community to their ensembles both yeah. generated work outside of that as soon as they saw that i was interested they would take me out of there and took me under their wing at gigs and start you know first i would just come help set up the drum set you know and then it's like okay sit in for a tune you know yeah okay like meet these guys they're serious musicians like they didn't the lessons the less the music didn't end at the institution walls you know, it was like, no, this is this happened to be the place that's supporting us right now. But the music is outside of that. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to invite you into if you're serious about it and you're willing to commit to it and give something back. Right. And so that was that was deep. Um, and that was very much Anthony's attitude with how he taught his ensemble class. So I had the um, 
And but it's interesting. I was saying, go back to the the musical point that was deep. He had, you know, the, the, that quartet with Chris Bell, Hemingway, Dresser. I mean, that's amazing. That group is unbelievable. Yeah. And he had just stopped that and started ghost trance music. And it's funny because the ghost trance music now everybody, you know, I'm running tricentric. Everybody wants ghost trance charts and wants to learn ghost trance modeling. And so uh-huh. I was really into it. At that time, people hated it. Like he just went from this like this incredibly virtuosic like collage based, you know, killer jazz quartet thing. Right. Um, to basically like endless streams of eighth notes, <laughs> you know, and people could it. And he was like, no, this is the next step in my evolution. This is where I got to go. And that was a really important early lesson because, and he, he didn't care. You know, people, people would have offered him 10 times as much money to reunite that old quartet and get it together. Cause yeah. it's like, no, this is where I'm going now. Music, this is my artistic journey. And it's amazing. 10 years later, people caught up with it and fell in love with the music. But when right. I first started, it was incredibly controversial. You know, people in in our funny little music world. Sure, <laughs> you know. Sure, sure. But people were. It was. It was. It felt like people were like, "Wait, Braxton's gone crazy." You know, like what's well, he I mean, doing now? Braxton's always been crazy, <laughs> but in a beautiful way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then you see, then you see the long form of the idea, and that like, oh, this is why he did, it, and this is what it built towards, and this is how it fit into this entire fifty-year career of music. Yeah, I mean, and that's the danger of Anthony as a hero and a model and a friend is that he sets a standard that the rest. That's just unrealistic. You know, like mapping out a 36 act opera cycle that's going to be composed over the next 25 years as it fits into one's you know body of you know 500 compositions and philosophical systems is not necessarily what we can all do that's a fairly high high standard but such a deep profound awareness of what you need or want to do next musically regardless of what is being asked for but what what your what you need to do next mm-hmm. you know what your art needs to be and having such a clear sense of it and such a clear definition of it was so i mean to he- get to, to get exposed to that when you're still a teenager is is is, is life-changing mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean it it it, it, it kind of ruins you from oh i, I just wrote this tune because it like I, I dug the the melody and then it fits and that's fun too like that's beautiful that's part of the tradition too mm-hmm. but having such a deep awareness of a body of work and as it ties into like a real artistic philosophy and aesthetic you know conception is yeah. is is was pretty profound did you did that music click with you uh at first did it was it immediate or did honestly i would say the the ideas clicked for me before the music i got the ideas first um and the excitement of the ideas and then i came to love and appreciate the music and it's yeah. interesting like i came the stuff of anthony's that's the most popular like his 70s quartet stuff I didn't really start because I was listening to the stuff he was doing at that time. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then a lot of the stuff, and I was listening to the charts that we were doing in the ensemble classes, which were like his large orchestra, like his orchestra stuff, mm-hmm. and all the orchestra recordings of it were these weird, you know, like a European orchestra that with one rehearsal or something, or right. you know, like these weird recordings. So it took me a while to figure out the music, but the as a listener, but the the intellectual ideas of it were immediately just so seductive, like so exciting, and the excitement of playing it was so immediate mm-hmm. you know what i mean i mean it just it, it gave it offered me like it challenged me on so many levels as a player and then i think i came to fall in love with it as a listener mm-hmm. you know um yeah it's funny people like i feel like you know i, I you know the mentor in my life someone that the, i would most closely describe that has been john mm-hmm. zorn and with him and i feel like it's the same way with braxton um i, I can talk more about it through john and this is a conversation he and i have had a lot is all of his shit is more is made more interesting by 
the different aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So the sax mm -hmm. playing, the solo stuff is like way more interesting because of the string quartets. Mm -hmm. And the string quartets are way more yeah. interesting because of, you know, the jazz quartet. The yeah. jazz, you know? No, exactly. And that, a body of work that is, is impossible to pigeonhole yet has an extraordinary sort of philosophical aesthetic consistency through it even yeah. though it has incredibly idiomatic diversity you know yeah. i mean even though it, it yeah for me as a listener with braxton's music like even the stuff that i'm maybe not so crazy about or you know i become more into it after you know i i accepted a while ago that if something confuses me when i first hear it that's then, right that's exciting. then i'm probably yeah. gonna find yeah. some pretty deep meaning yeah. in it if i you know yeah. check back in every so often and even when I hear something from Braxton that I'm like, I don't think I like that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if I'm, I'm like, but you know, there is Peralto, so like, there's something here that, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to keep yeah. giving in, you know. But that's what you want from an artist. I mean, that's, and that's actually, and I have to say, going all the way around to what we're talking about about the marginalization and the current social environment. That's why this music is deep because it challenge. It's this music is music that demands a deep engagement from probably a relatively narrow pool of people where we exist in a culture that's all about an incredibly shallow and wide engagement, you know? And I worry sometimes, like I'll tell students, you check somebody out, like you got to go check someone out and, they'll, and I'll come back the next week. And it's like, so well, did you listen to them? They're like, yeah, I didn't dig it. Just pulled them up on YouTube, didn't dig it. Right. So, so it wasn't my thing. You didn't check it out. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually looking at Albert Eiler said, right. when I was in college, Braxton's like, oh, Taylor, you got to listen to Albert Eiler, Albert and Donald Eiler. You got to check him out. And I was like, uh, okay. So I, I was in Middletown, Connecticut. I drove all the way to Boston because there weren't any good records. Uh -huh. look, so found out it cost like 15 bucks. Get what this record? Out, Bells. That was the first one I got. Yeah. And then I drove all the way back. I put it on and I hated it. Like, yeah. terrified me. I was like, and it was funny because I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, I'm just going to interrupt for a second. Now that I've absorbed, been absorbing yeah. Eiler's music for like 20 years, Bells isn't his best record. I think I, I come around, but it has a, it, it has a I mean, of course I love spot. it. Yeah, yeah. But I wish that wasn't the first one that I got. I hear that. Yeah. But okay. even, but spiritual unity, but Bells, the one I got was like CD had half Bells and then like another 40 minutes right. of like the trio live basically playing the spiritual unity book. Yeah. Um, and that was a scary to me too. Almost scarier because <laughs> right. like, like Bells at least has those big like marches, like yeah, those yeah, yeah, marches yeah. and stuff. But so I listened, and I hated it. Yeah. But I had driven four hours and spent 20 bucks and Braxton had told me, so I listened to it again and again and again. And I still hated it. But after like 20 listens, and it kind of changed my life. Yeah. And then like I, re you know, now it's, 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 it's literally, it was literally a kind of a life changing record. Yeah. But it, it took that. And actually same thing. The first, the first time I heard Wadada Leo Smith, I didn't get it. Me neither. And I, and it, and I was like, ah, this doesn't, doesn't, you know, it doesn't know how to, this trumpet play doesn't sound right. It doesn't. And then now he's one of my biggest heroes and biggest influences on the yeah. instrument. But it took me and, but it takes that you want that. You know, and it's funny because I told that story to Anthony and thanked him for putting it on my eye. He's like, that's what happened to me with Ornette. <laughs> my right. friend's dad lent me an Ornette Coleman record and I, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's like, and I gave it back to him and I came back the next week. I want to listen to that record again that I hated so much. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, but in something that inspires that confusion that, that you don't get, that's what we want. That's what we want, I, I think, for humanity. I had this exactly. conversation at a restaurant the other night with this guy who was sitting at the table beside me. This is a pretty expensive restaurant. And it's pretty, like, the chef yeah. does pretty crazy shit. This guy was having a ball. We just ended up yeah. having this conversation. We found out we had all this stuff in common. He's an older guy, too. He's probably my father's age. Uh, but unlike my father, <laughs> he's very open-minded. And he was saying, you know, he said something like, he's like, look, I go into a restaurant, and I want to have no idea what's going well, exactly. on. exactly, yeah. And it was like, man, that's what I want life to be yeah, like. Exactly. That's what a listener should be. That's what a diner should be. That's and, that's, what, but th and I think that's what this music fights for, what we fight for in our organizing and our teaching or whatever, that is, at this cultural moment, completely disallowed. You know, people want to be comfortable. People don't want to be 
uncomfortable anymore. And yeah. I think there's something that we need to embrace about letting our like, and that's where I think this music is a place where one can learn to become comfortable with being with the unknown. Can, yeah. like, it's, it's a place to be like, okay, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust these people and trust that it's going to get me somewhere. I mean, you know? I, I definitely rely on signifiers. Like, I spent, you know, in New York, I spent a, a pretty good deal of time um, in, like, Uber and these different, mm-hmm. like, ride things, you know. And, like, one out of ten will have a classical station on. And I always thank them. I'm like, man, this is nice. <laughs> thank you, you know. Yeah. Um, but generally, like, that's where I hear, you know, contemporary pop yeah. music. And the signifiers are all there for me to complete, just immediately reject it, you know, the production qualities, mm-hmm. the, the lyrical content, you know, these, these things. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, I, I don't need this. Yeah. I don't need this. Conversely, there's signifiers in music where I'm like, oh, this is... Oh, that guy! That guy can really play. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I get this, but like, the, yeah, yeah. yeah this, this guy's clearly serious about what he's doing. Yeah. Or, oh, they really put some. You know, I wish more people had. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think it's. I think it's the most of those signifiers. I think are built into things to attract people. Are sort of the marketing brands. You know, the the hooks. Yeah, you know? and I think being cultivated in the work that we do we reject we almost uh, sometimes maybe to our discredit overly reject anything that's hooky that seems to you know what though you know but maybe it's getting older but like i have i had i had this i had an argument with someone the other day like you really need to see lady bird i was like no i don't i uh i've got lawrence of arabia on dvd at home i'm good (laughs) but it but i but i have to say we have to i think we had that's we have to be careful not to yeah i think the open minded one of the things a thing that, again that was always really inspiring about anthony was his open mindedness to check other stuff out yeah and like he would in the same conversation talk about stockhausen and like the flamingos you know and mm. then like and then he'd be like you know i've been so this beyonce person is you know being is getting a lot of i'm going to check her out like and really check it out it's good for your health to stay curious. I think it is. I think there's, yeah. there's it, it is, it's, and as much as we're asking if, if and I sort of say this, it, I'm open for my students pitching anything at me for me to listen to. And I might hate it, and I'll be honest with them. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm making you listen to stuff all the time. Yeah. So tell me the stuff you like. Have, have, and you, have, you, heard, have, have you done that? You've heard they've played stuff for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like like the stuff they like, the bands like they're listening what to. Are I don't want to get put. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I haven't liked a lot of it. Yeah. But that's okay. Like yeah, I yeah, need yeah. to keep but every once in a while you'll find something you like you're like, oh, that person's got it. Like that's right. That's it. You know? Yeah. And I think just being open, I, I agree with you. I'm getting I'm becoming a grumpy old man. But I, I, I'm trying to challenge myself out of that a little bit. But, but that's then, what I'm saying, though, is I find, like, a weird youthfulness in that because I'm just like, oh, I don't have time for bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, and it's yeah. like I really savor the things that, you know. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you know, And there's something like, what was it? You know, someone was trying to convince me of Bruno Mars. <laughs> and I, I checked it out yeah. earnestly, and yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, clearly this guy's got some chops, and, you know, but you're telling me this guy's the next prince, and I'm very sorry. Yeah. This guy isn't dirt under no. prince's dead fingernail. Yes. Yeah. Very sorry. No, I'm, like, I'm like, like, yeah. you, you, You're trying to compare something. Well, but it's interesting because I was talking, uh, one of, someone, who was it? Someone had given me somebody to check out, and I had a similar reaction. Um, and but I think it goes back to, I, I also worry. As we're talking about generationally, like the earlier generations uh-huh. in our music took more chances. I also, even in the pop world, it's the same thing. I think you get defined and marketed so quickly and so young in pop now that I like not when Prince died and David Bowie died. I was, there was sort of that question: like, is there going to be anyone left who can be an artist and a pop star? 
You know what I mean? This is, like, yeah. And now because Answers you get, no. You're, no, yeah, you get sold and marketed and defined so quickly. There's flukes here and there, but even like someone like Bjork, I'm but sorry. But she's not a pop star. I love Bjork. Don't 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 talk no, Bjork. I'm gonna, I, I like I'll, Bjork. I'll, I'll stand by Bjork. I no, think I like Bjork. I like she's Bjork. the one that came to my mind as the closest to that. Right. But she's not the level of stardom that Prince or David Bowie was. She's never Absolutely she's never not. been right. top forty. She's right. she's a major cultural figure right. in the pop world. I mean, like Radiohead might be the yeah. I, I mean, Radiohead honestly is. The, the, you know they are on yeah, the same level the, as like U two or something yeah, or REM. Like, yeah, yeah. Just the biggest band in the yeah. world. Yeah. I I I I I don't hate them. I don't hate them. But I don't they're I like, not they're not prince to me. You know what I mean? No, they're not someone I mean, who's exploding. Listen. They're not someone who's exploding the form. When, you know? I, I always think in terms of putting people on like ledger lines. And I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> you like to rank people? That's good to know. Right. No, 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 no. But like but it's like, you know, when I think about prince, I'm like, okay, who is legitimately an equal of prince? Jimi Hendrix? Yeah, Miles Davis, yeah, like yeah, yeah. very few people. Yeah, yeah. That, like you said, you, you said explode. It's like you watch this guy just pick up a bass and improvise yeah. a riff. You're like, okay, he's no, no, he's clearly on yeah, yeah, operating yeah, yeah. on a different yeah. level. No, and that's not to you know diminish anyone, but it's like you're not, you're just. I'm sorry, Bruno yeah. Mars is not. Oh, no, no, exactly. And, and but that's also the thing when people conflate those things together. Where yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, it's 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 genius gets commodified and sold and people lose the track that is genius but prince was yeah prince was a miles was the one that was like prince is ellington like he's, yes he's the closest we got to ellington right now like, yes that's where it's at no questions and asked you know, and the fact that 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 music can be as vibrant as it was as thoughtful as it was as as virtuosic as it was and just fucking enjoyable yeah, yeah. everyone enjoys yeah, it yeah you know people who are 80 people who are 10 fucking love prince yeah no, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm. I mean, you I'm love obsessive. the purple one. I'm, I'm obsessed. You love the purple yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I feel. I'm actually a little sad because I did this. I did this Prince project where I did my arrangements yeah. of Prince's tunes. We picked some like cool. That was weird, before he died, right? Before he died. Yeah. And then I'd done it twice, and, and my usual thing. It, it actually is funny because it immediately started getting off. Like I only did two gigs with it. Yeah. And people find out immediately started getting offers. I'm, I can't do it because like I don't want to be the dude like the free jazz dude right. playing Prince. Like so I said no. I so I broke up the band. But then I was just getting the itch to do it again. I was like you know it'd be really like I really I just want to record it. Like that was really fun. Yeah. And then he died. And now I'm like I can't, can't. like I can't do it. I maybe wait ten maybe, years. Maybe play one of his tunes. Yeah, yeah. Group, I could play but... one. Yeah, yeah, but you can't. But you can't. It's it's too. It's don't do it. Yeah. yeah. I, but it breaks my heart because I was actually I had so much. I learned a lot. Diving because it's funny. As much as I've loved him, he's been one of my f- top five people my whole life, you know. But I'd never dug into his music as a musician before. The way because it, it it's funny, like it almost was in that separate part of the brain. Like oh, that's yeah. the popular music I like. But like you know, the Charles Ives or the Miles Davis or the Duke Ellington right. stuff. I'm like listening to and checking out the scores and transcribing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But being forced to like sit down, transcribe Prince tunes, like figure out the harmonic structure, figure out the rhythms, and like listen to the lyrics more closely. Like I, I, it made me actually appreciate his genius even more you know yeah. like there's things he did that just don't happen in pop songs and he made them work and sounds so catchy and so good mm-hmm. but yeah that was that was that was deep i i'm so I'm, even though i never recorded and never done like i'm really glad i did it and it was good to you've force sat myself with that music it. yeah in, a, in, a, in the analytical way not just the like i love this physically and and emotionally mm-hmm. but like really analyze it. It, it it definitely stood up to it it was it was Fun. I was talking with someone the other day. Someone we were, t- you know, Prince came up as a group of people talking, and someone was like, you know, I knew a bunch of people that worked with Prince, you know, like on a production side, and they all say he was just a monster. He was, you know, really impossible, you know. And it's like, but going back to that thing of like, I'm, you know, what? I'm okay with that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. you know, I, I kind of feel yeah. like if you're Prince, like you're probably not going to have a lot of patience for yeah. bullshit. Yeah. You know, like that guy, 
literally. And I don't think I think at that level, you know, there's a couple people I've worked with in my life that I really do consider geniuses that yeah. like changed my life, like, like, like musical geniuses. And I think it's made me appreciate that I'm not one, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I feel like I'm very aware that I'm not one. But also because I think there's certain things when you, you when the the the, the urge to create is that strong. There's certain things that aren't even choices for you mm-hmm. around what you need to get done and what your motivations are and what your choices are. Like, I kind of like to be able to turn off and like watch a movie and hang out with my wife and cook dinner <laughs> yeah. and like not be obsessed. Like there's there's a level of intensity that I, I thank, thank the cosmics as to, <laughs> to steal Anthony's word. Thank, thank... I'm very thankful exists because mm-hmm. so much of what I love has come out of that drive and that like insatiableness of that kind of genius drive. And I think Prince certainly had that in mm-hmm. spades. But for the my enjoyment of my day-to-day life, I'm glad I'm like, you know, bright enough to appreciate them and work with them. Right, but not, be around but not them. Like, yeah. But not, I, I, you know, I don't think, I, I don't envy that drive as much as I, as much as I, revere and admire the work i don't envy that drive to, you i know, think it's a tough it's a tough that's a tough you know it, it makes me like question what people's and this is a scary thing when you do it for yourself like what are my true talents you know because they might not be what you would want them to be yeah honestly mm-hmm. and they're they're you know musically speaking um you know there's plenty of people who should stop focusing on being a composer and just accept that they're a great performer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's plenty, you know, and there's a million different versions of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking with a friend, you know, I know this guy who, uh, he owns a couple of restaurants. Um, and honestly, his great talent, and he would never want to admit this, is he's really good at getting money from people. To yeah, back yeah, his yeah. projects, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's, like he's not that, a brilliant it, chef, but he's a brilliant organizer. Yes, yeah. and I'm like, fuck, that's a talent that I need. <laughs> like, I need that talent. Like, I shot yeah. my, I fucked myself. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point, and I think that's the 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 we are in the danger. I think, especially in the, where there's so many music schools and so many people coming out wanting to be musicians or wanting to be artists, where an arts culture, a music culture, needs actually in some ways less musicians and more. The environment needs less practitioners and more supporters, you know. And some like there's some it'd be it'd sometimes one wishes or some people who'd be like, yeah, like I'm good at organizing, I'm good at getting the gigs, like maybe I should focus on that. But we're at, right now, we're the, right. where everyone wants to do their own. But everyone should have the right to do their own thing. Everyone, so, of course, you know, so and you want to be, yeah, you want to be out there. You want to be one of the wild and dogs. That, and it's that you fun, know? yeah. And it's that funny line too between admitting what you do well and still wanting to challenge yourself. You yes. know, like I feel at this point in my life and career. Um, as we were talking about before, like the ones not, I don't do that many. There's some still people, some people let you know who I like. Well, always work for if they call me, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I really rarely work as a sideman at this point, you right? Know? Um, you know, like if Toma's new project, I love that band. It's yeah, great. Yeah. And like Toma's my brother. I'll yeah. do that. Like if he anytime he wants to do something, I'm in. But rarely do I do stuff as a sideman anymore. And one of the reasons is. I feel I've really defined what I do well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I want to try to make sure I have a practice that challenges that, mm-hmm. you know, and that like makes gets me out. I want to, in my own work, force myself out of my comfort zone to some extent. But I also like, you know, there's 200 trumpet players graduating jazz conservators every year who do basically play the trumpet better than me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who like mm-hmm. play through the changes and are more consistent with their intonation and play higher and have better endurance than I do. 
and but they can't but like i got what i do and i feel i own that you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so mm-hmm. i sort of identify there's a long time where I, I really struggled with it i was like i gotta prove i can play jazz you know or i, I gotta prove i can I think read this is common, yeah or i gotta prove i can you know i'm technically a ad- you know um, and at a certain point, I was like, you know, I don't. I just got to prove I can make good music, you know? But don't and you I, feel like... Or I can make my music even. I don't even care if you think it's good or not, but I want to make the music that is just me. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to do that, it helps to have basic technical standards, you know, sure. like be a solid player and have some theoretical knowledge and some stuff. Yeah, 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 of course. But it's sort of identified, there's this urge that we sort of have to be generalists and have to be able to do everything that I think makes us sort of solid across the board, but kind of mediocre. And if we go back to the earlier generation, I think that's, again, one of the sort of over-academicized natures of our current generation is that everybody's solid on a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. but we haven't necessarily always nurtured the weirdness that makes us unique, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, I want to encourage that. Like, that's what we need more of. We don't need, um, you know, we don't need more, you know. But you also, you know, you develop a competency. thing. Like, <laughs> you spend however many years... <clears throat> Existing within a community of musicians, uh, you know, having conversations, relationships, playing X, mu- X number of gigs over the years, learning on the bandstand, touring, uh, you know, having all the stuff that really informs who you are. And, and this is a truly like an existential question because I, I battle with this and it's, it's so I'm really finally, I think, hitting a breakthrough, which is like if someone invites me to play, they're not inviting me because they want to hear me do my imitation of Jimmy Jufri, mm-hmm. or do my imitation of whatever the fuck I want to hear I your f- imitation of Jimmy well, Jufri, but that's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> that's <laughs> something you're going to hear. Uh, but, but, you know, like, or what, what I, you know, they, they, they're not inviting me because they, they want to hear what I think they want yeah, no, me no, to exactly. hear. No, In point, actuality, yeah. they want to hear what, well, what have the last 15 years resulted in? Yeah, what they, that, you know? And that's one of the joys, I think, of our media community is that it's not about filling a role it's not like a broadway gig where you're hiring a french horn player yeah you know it's it's definitely i think our one of the beauties and strengths of our current of this scene and this music is it really is about like i'm hiring this person because they present something beautiful and individualistic and special yeah and that's and that's and and that we all get the gift to work on that as composers and see like i'm writing a piece i'm just not writing a guitar part i'm writing a part for mary yeah you know like that's exciting like that gives that's a gift and that i think we all share and get to get to explore and i think it was one of the strengths of the music absolutely i i completely agree and i think there that really exists but as i said we are a fringe though within the larger but so, but, musical but, but and as far as like uh, you know a unique musical identity goes you know and you talk about these you know 200 trumpet players you know coming out every year from whatever school when you think about you know the work with firehouse 12 the work with um the name of the Braxton organization, the, the Tricentric Foundation. The work with the Tricentric Foundation. The work um, you you were involved with Dave's Font Festival, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for several so years. Very all his administrative work. Do you see? Do you see that as being separate from the musical work? That's a really good question. Um, yes and no. I mean, it goes. I mean, honestly, it goes back to the ice cream store. Like, yeah. I got involved in the things to generate the opportunities that I wanted to exist right. for myself and for others. You know, so with the label, with the trumpet festival, with certainly with Braxton's organization, it's like I got involved because the stuff I that needed to happen for the so it it it's related to the artistic work because it had to happen for the artistic work to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So so was, again, it goes back to I was like I th- I think the one of the 
I was made myself useful, you know, like and made the stuff to help generate that stuff happen. Um, just because I wanted that work to exist. It didn't mean I wanted to do that work. I do think having, it goes back to what we said earlier and this might, where I felt the skills I had developed as a musician made, gave me strengths as an organizer or a grant writer or an administrator, um, fairly unique strengths in that, right. you know, around, you know, different kinds of creative thinking or, or actually also just organized things. Like to be an independent musician, you have to, you know, be fairly organized to make it work in this stuff, you know, around right. like building budgets, around like building projects, mm-hmm. strategic planning, all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that certainly influenced both, you know, but I, at the same time, I also try to keep those separate because when it gets too blended, it's really is, you know, in an ideal world, I wouldn't want to do any of that stuff. It's mm-hmm. not like I feel a burn to 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 organize, organ, to run organizations. Mm-hmm. I just feel that there's stuff I want to happen musically that's not happening. So I sort of try to create the the platform with which that can happen. Yeah. But in an ideal world, like, it's funny, you hear the story, you know, I, I would love to not have to deal with any of that, you know, right. and just be a composer, a musician, and, you know, would I would you, be... Though? I would be. I really would. Like, I, I think the... Teaching feels very like teaching. I love doing yeah. like that sort of mentorship. Or for me, I was just so lucky to have such great mentors that I feel a real responsibility to try to pass that on. Like that, I would definitely want to keep doing. Um, but all the other stuff, all the logistics stuff. All oh the, yeah, I mean like booking even, a rehearsal. Yeah, but and- even but even like the organizing stuff or even the curatorial stuff. Like that stuff, I could totally go without. Like I, 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 be, I identify with if there's people that. doing it well. Like if it was happening. Like I don't feel urged to do that the way I feel an urge to make music. You know, or to conceive of artistic projects or to find new yeah. collaborators. It's just the reality is to make those things happen. You have to have your foot in both. We don't exist in a place where if if I could have an absolute badass manager and agent, and sure, have all that stuff and have them with, deal with all that bullshit, and someone run an organization yeah. and have to t- like, I would be so so it'd be, down. It'd be with pretty that. great. I would be it? so. I mean, that's that, that's also be great to have like you know functional political leadership in this nation. And that's not going to happen either. That's so we can't. Yeah, 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 so we up. can't waste our time hoping for what's not going <laughs> to. You know, but isn't there something kind of fun? Like, I actually really enjoy these different curatorial aspects I enjoy, you know yeah I, I like you know putting things on paper and trying to figure out how they fit together better and it's sort of like it does inform the artistic practice for De- me. no definitely and i dig that and i and, and i like i i hear that i had a lunch with a, with a friend the other day mm-hmm. who is a musician who's you know um maybe 10 12 years older than me certainly someone i've admired from afar and we've you know the last few years developed a relationship and we said hey let's do a project so we went out to lunch we start talking about what it might look like. And I know that this will happen. It might be in a year. It might be in two years. But now the back and forth is happening. We're not just hitting it willy-nilly. We're really talking about what, what could yeah, this yeah. look like, you know? And and over time, it's going to happen. And that, to me, is so exciting. That, but that's but that's different than curating a festival or, or trying to run a record label. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's not so different. It's not so different, but it's it's more satisfying because it's in service of your own passion and work. Yes. You know? So I feel like... But don't you like when I mean I, I, we should talk about what your work has been with Firehouse Twelve, the record label. Uh, um, well, it, so when that so that started, I mean, some uh, my friend Nick Lloyd, who's really the the, the mastermind of Firehouse Twelve, yeah. right, the, the the owner of the studio and the engineer and all the projects. Um, we actually went to sixth through eighth grade together, and we we're neighbors oh, really? growing up. Yeah, yeah, and we were very friendly. We like we weren't like super best buds, but we we're like really friendly in school. We both got into music around the same time. Like by the time we we're in eighth grade, we were like. 
you know, nerding out listening. I think the Bat- Batman album just came out, Prince's Batman. I remember actually sitting oh, really? with him listening yeah, to yeah, the yeah. Batman album. Like, Damn, this guy's good. Yeah. But um, but we we totally lost touch. And then I was work. I was this is before I moved back to New Haven. I was working a show in New Haven, and a mutual friend's like, oh man, you know Nick Lloyd's in town. I'm like, oh that's great. So we got together. Hadn't seen each other for probably fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Turned out that we're both in the music scene. It's like, yeah, I'm starting a record. I'm starting a recording studio. It's like, oh that's amazing. I'm doing music. I want let's let's book a session. I want I'm, I need to bring my band in. So I recorded an album there before the label had started. And then I started shopping right. the labels. My, the first album with my old sextet um, in like 2006 or something. And we started shopping it. I was shopping it around and there was, none of the offers felt right. I was like, maybe I'll just start my own label. And I mentioned that to Nick. He's like, you know, I've been thinking I need to start a label. So we just came to like, hey, let's work together. Let's make this happen. Um, and then at the very beginning, I sort of helped with sort of like the A&R guy to like pick the first like so This is like dozen. 2006, 2007? Yeah. The first ha- so there's a couple- I mean, for our community- I could think of three specific records in that first batch that really launched a couple of, you know, yeah, Tyshawn, kind of, yeah. Mary, and Peter. Yeah, I'm proud of that. And that, yeah. those, are the, those are the people, like, so we had, so Nick was like, let's sit down and like, make a list of the people you think we should record if I'm starting a record label. Yeah. And so that was like, that was the list, you know, like, and, and so we did a couple, you know, we did, Braxton had this crazy 10 CD project that he wanted to put out. Right. And I love the fact that Nick was like, yeah, our first release should totally be a nine CD plus DVD box set. You know? Yeah. I was like, right on. This is my kind of guy. It's a bold statement. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, Mary's record. Then we started working. Then I had just started working with Mary and I was blown away by her stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I brought those. So we sort of made a short list of people. Um, and that's how the label got started. But then over And then for a while, I was really kind of involved in the day to day. But after a while, it it was uncomfortable first i just was overcommitted at a certain point i was helping run firehouse 12 i was helping run the festival of new trumpet music i was helping run tricentric foundation yeah and i was just totally overwhelmed um and i was like oh i'm also supposed to be a musician i'm like and i gotta um and the label was really healthy like it's doing great so i i sort of stepped back so i was a, i'm basically a founder and helped mm. sort of cu- help choose the first batch of records but then since then Luckily, Nick is still willing to have me record for it. So sure. I, it's been sort of the label home, and I'm sort of friend of the family. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I don't have any direct day to day involvement. Right. But, but that, um, but you, I mean, I, I just, I love my entire life. I have loved record labels. You know, yeah, I'm a fucking, yeah. like, those, my record collection growing up saved my life. Honestly, mm-hmm. when things were at their worst and they got pretty bad, you know, a few different times yeah, in my yeah. life, like literally shutting the door, putting yeah, yeah. headphones on, looking at, you know, the liner yeah. notes saying, oh, what's this label? I, I, yeah. I want to I want to learn more about ESP or whatever, yeah. you know. And like I, I wish, you know, I mean, I feel like, you know, you this would have been 2006, yeah. five, 2006 yeah. that you're talking about, which was like kind of the beginning of the end. <laughs> for, the, for the record industry. Yeah. 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 But man, I would fucking i if man i i would love to be able to really do a real record label and really yeah, yeah. like look at it. and that, and that's i think that's to to that's i i'm so proud to have been a part of the starting of it and just so impressed with that label's done because i feel firehouse 12 has tried to do that like there's i still feel there's a handful of labels you know like pie is doing that like labels that have an identity that have an aesthetic but is, are really diverse that have like i think it's great about firehouse 12 is also the the design nick's wife is an amazing visual yeah, artist, yeah everything looks done, good yeah. yeah so like it it looks good it sounds good it has a it's totally aesthetically diverse but there's a like a guarantee of quality you yes know, and creativity it's doing what a real label yeah, is supposed which is, to do which is amazing yeah which is which is which is which is it's funny i was in um France recently had a gig and this guy came up to me in a hip French accent. He's like, "Oh, you helped start Firehouse 12." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Oh, thank you." He's like, "On my on my record collection, everything is alphabetical except Blue Note, Impulse, 
and Firehouse 12. It's amazing. I booked by label. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> you know? That's a real yeah, label. And that was an incredible compliment. Like that, yeah. that was, and that was what they, that's what I think that was our dream when we started it. So that, you know. So help me with one of my frustrations right now because what I'm fucking irritable with, and this was, you know, uh, going back, I was, you know, I'm talking about yeah, this idea of like starting a business. I want to be able to sell the thing that I'm selling and not have to focus on selling something else. <laughs> so, I, I, again, I know food, I know music, and all the people I know, the restaurant owners and chefs, I would, I don't envy them at all yeah. because they, all they're trying to do is parlay the restaurant into something else, which is getting a cook, getting a book deal, getting yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. whatever the fuck else you know that yeah. for, and like I feel like musicians and labels get stuck in that too. Yeah. I think well, I think it's interesting. It, again, I'm, I, I come off as a unrepentant Marxist at times, but I feel that's the problem of the capitalist model that there's, it, or the the idea that things always have to grow, or that you have other ambitions. Yeah, you know, and I think I, I feel that's one of the things that's helped me come to grips with what I want to do musically and artistically. As we said earlier, like it's it's crazy that people are in our field are bitter that they're not like rich or famous from their music doing the kind of music we make because we're right. like, is that really why you got into it? You know? Right. Like, did you go into cooking? Again, there's much quicker ways to yeah, earn exactly one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. There's much quicker ways to learn a hundred dollars a yeah. year. I know, but it's really not that much money <laughs> if that's what you want. Know. You know. But um, I think we get caught up in ambition, and there's this idea that things always have to grow or go in a certain place. There's there's a, something to be said for like. I, I, I guess it's a little bit of a cliche now, but like the sustainability, like like that that economies are felt that they have to grow to be healthy, as opposed to actually be self. That's what they teach in business. School. Exactly, and that, yeah. but that's but that's in, that's infected restaurant business. That's infected the music business. That's infected this thing. Where rather than being creatively ambitious, you're 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 professionally ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I think just actually being like fuck professional ambition. Like I really at this point, I don't care if no one comes to my concert if I get to make music with people I love and music I believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, and it took me a long time. Like we all say that at times, but I feel like I finally but to come actually mean it to actually believe it and actually feel it and actually be like you know that's not like my goals are not. I didn't I didn't do this to become famous. Like right. that's not why I chose this kind of music. Mm-hmm. I chose this kind of music because it makes me incredibly happy. Yeah. It gives me a place of like joy and pe- and what I want to do is cultivate that space. And sometimes the efforts to like get ahead in the scene, to hustle the next gig, to get on that festival really do infect it. Like it mm-hmm. really it's so and and as you as so many people we know who are beautiful people who become who who get bitter, who get like, oh I didn't get the thing I wanted. It's like, but but you got to spend your life doing something beautiful with people you love and like if nothing else also doing no harm and like in this mm. fucked up world we're in right now if the least we can do is something like creative and beautiful that does i mean we're all so and this is getting all i'm getting no, off no, on no. a tangent so but we're all so complicit like any like we live in the west we live in the usa like we can be politically progressive but we're so fucking guilty like yeah. we're all living off the backs of this fucked up system and this fucked up world i mean if you fly and these to inequalities. europe to play one gig and fly back yeah like, exactly like we're totally kind of yeah, yeah we, we've totally just shed on the environment like yeah. we're 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 living in a style that is dooming the human race so uh. like that's just the basic and so one can take a uh if one, if we can spend our lives doing something that's not directly creating harm or causing hardship, trying to do something beautiful and doing what we and doing with the people we love, we are so lucky. Like, and that's something beautiful. Yeah, you know. And we need to. Why get caught up in wishing that you know 
so you know i got this gig or that grant or this this fest you know like that doesn't matter like we yeah we just have to really step back and appreciate the things we have that are extraordinary because it's so easy to get dark uh-huh i mean it's i have a whole new theory on life that they're not it's actually it's my old theory i've just named it i've said i'm a i'm a friendly misanthrope and a cheerful dystopian yeah <laughs> in the sense of like like i like people like i like you like i like my friends yeah, but like yeah. i despair of our species sure <laughs> you know what i mean sure sure and i think we're totally fucking doomed as like a culture and as a yeah, planet there's perhaps no questions asked but like so we might as well do it like let's try to do something beautiful before we go like let's try to actually because seemingly something. that's coming much faster than I know. Ever the fact before. that we've had a 70 degree like swing within the past five days like that's normal right like that's what usually happens like it's supposed to be negative 20 and then 70 degrees I, yeah it's like, weird man like ever since last year like a lot of people i've been battling you know uh, a depression i've always battled depression yeah, yeah. but a, a strain of depression that is very traceable yeah, yeah. To, you know just this overwhelming feeling of doom so it's made me feel less inspired in a lot of ways see i would i would, I would challenge you to put that around go ahead yeah but the other side of it is i've never felt more confident like might as well do what i love because yeah, like yeah. you know yeah well and, and again like after the election and after all this stuff going, i really had that moment like oh man i should like fuck music i should like go into political organizing oh, I never, or yeah, something i never felt that you know <laughs> for yeah. a second but then i was like yeah, actually fuck it like i think we have as much chance to change the world through the artistic and the spiritual and the ineffable as we do through the political which is, I don't think either has a fucking chance. Like, right, I right, both right, are kind of right. doomed. But I'd rather spend my time aiming. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's like, you know, there's the, there's the political revolutionary path and there's, like, the spiritual Buddhist path. Like, we might create, you know, change by, like, like taking up arms and, you know, overthrowing the government and creating a new system. Or we might just perpetuate another unjust system. We might fuck it up. You know this, and I feel like that has as much chance. Or we can like all meditate for human like shared universal consciousness mm-hmm. and enlightenment. And I feel like sometimes those two sides look at each other askance, but they're actually they're trying the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're just trying different paths. And I think the paths are basically have as equal chance of succeeding. Yeah, which is like point zero 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 one percent. But they but like at least let's try for it and let's respect the other people that are on those paths. Yeah. Even if, even if we look at them both and we think they're equally doomed, at least we can do it. It's like, man, you're a movie fan. It's like the seven yeah, samurai, yeah. man, the seven samurai, you, you, they knew they were going to lose. And even if they won, they knew half of them would be dead and the villagers would hate right. them. But you got to fight anyways. Like you yeah. totally, you got to take on the bandits and you got to go for it. And so I feel like we're at that stage. It's, it's we're we're, yeah. If, if I don't, think it's likely that by modeling a kind of music that encourages you know intergenerational intercultural non-hierarchical communication dialogue and and like creative thinking is actually going to create a political system that mirrors that but i certainly know a political system that mirrors that's not going to be created if we're not doing that kind of music right if that makes sense you know yeah <laughs> mm. You look unconvinced. You're like, <laughs> no, I'm not unconvinced because truly, and it, it feels like I guess uh, I guess just, I guess just in the face of everything, it feels inconsequential to say or believe this. But it's like, you know, I, I uh, was someone told me very young, like, hey, you know, the best thing you could do is make the world a little, you know, a little more colorful um, place than it was before you entered it. You know, on a day to day basis, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, make the guy behind the counter smile, yeah, 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 or yeah. Yeah. or you know, play a piece of music and. So more than ever, you know, like I appreciate, you know, I appreciate listening to someone play a great piece of music. Yeah. I appreciate a nice meal. I appreciate, you know, a friendly exchange with someone that lasts an hour or something like that. 
but it just feels like you know an even smaller pebble in a dark ocean <laughs> yeah but I, although i mean and this might be where i come out as really dystopic or cynical i feel like the the the, the all the, the 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 current the current political dynamics don't feel to me like a surprise it feels like a culmination and i yeah. think i've been depressed not because of what's happened but because I was not surprised that it happened. Yeah, yeah, You know definitely. what I'm saying? That's almost more... And I, I have a lot of friends who are, like, shocked. Like, oh, God, like, this makes me question America or question democracy. I'm like, you weren't questioning fucking America yeah. and questioning democracy before that? Like, yeah. Like, I think that's... The thing about him, though, is that no one has ever looked or sounded as much... It's the, as what they are. It's the naked id, but I almost... I you know almost, what I'm saying, though? It's I, like I, he's I actually, such actually, a sack of shit. But he, lo- he looks like shit. He sounds like shit. I would like that better than a pretty articulate face doing the exact same shit. You know? The thing is, the, 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 the depressing reality is... Uh, we wouldn't have had different policies put in place if it was President Ryan or President Rubio or President right. Pence. It would have been the exact same shit. It just people wouldn't have been upset about it because it would be presented in a cleaner Le- fashion. The, 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 for me, the saving graces are... Don't say his name. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The, the saving graces are the utter despicableness and, and, pow- and gets the opposition moving in a way that it wouldn't if it was a prettier face. And the insanity and the incompetence actually keeps things from happening the way... Like if actually, I mean, I honestly think we would be in worse shape if it was... A quote unquote normal right wing president. I mean, and, and things and were just Republican going a little slow, more slowly. Like things are like going really fast right now. But, that, but, but that's not because of him. That's because of there's, that's because that's the culture. We're on this cultural backswing. Right. And it would be going faster and more dangerous, I think, if it had been like a President Rubio or a President McCain or a president, you know, or like a, a, a mainstream Republican. Right. It would have been the same shit. But so if, you know, I'm watching this interview with Barack Obama today, and I, I just genuinely like the guy, you know? <laughs> and I voted for him twice, you know, very enthusiastically. Yeah. Not like in 2004 when I voted for, you know, John Kerry. Not, yeah, yeah. you know, not like in 2016 yeah. when I voted for, you know, what's-her-face. Uh, but it, it, So I'm, look, I'm looking at this face, and uh, he's got a good smile, and he seems such a likable guy. Like, is he has, like, is that despicable shit? That despicable shit's in him too, right? I think I think anyone that gets to that level of political You've got to be a maniac. He's got to be, yeah, he's got to be. You've got to be a fucking yeah. maniac. Which is also why I'm happy that we make art. <laughs> you know, right. but I also, and, and, but that's also, I think, it's funny, this, I remember I was talking to somebody, I was at a festival one time, and I was critiquing the festival because I felt it was too mainstream, you know, uh-huh. like, because I was like, oh. You were there as a performer? I was actually there, I think I was a panelist or yeah. something, I don't remember, and I was talking to somebody else in, in, in a thing after, they're like, well, he's like, and they're like, my, my family thinks this stuff is insane, Yeah, you know, like, this is, this is the weirdest art they've ever seen, and I recognized... Artistically and politically, I'm in the same place where, like, I'm so far out on the fringe that, like, <laughs> it's like the, and so it's the same thing politically. It's like, I'm pissed off. I was always frustrated at Obama because of, you know, those, that he didn't close Guantanamo. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Because of the drone strikes or because yeah. they're, you know, because of the continuation of global capitalism. Right, right, right. You know, where 50% of the country thought he was like, a Muslim Kenyan socialist. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I yeah. mean? So it's like, oh yeah, like it's good to be reminded yeah. that I exist on this fringe, so my expectations are not necessarily realistic of what I want in either art or politics. Right. Um, but it's also, for me, it's also a reminder of why we need to be on that fringe. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I want people to know my art exists, so like, Bjork is seen as centrist as opposed to edgy. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah, pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I want, like, our art needs to exist the same way that there needs to be a political movement that exists that points out that Obama, in terms of actual political philosophy, is extraordinarily centrist. Yes. A good, like, a well-natured, I think, like, non-homicidal or insane centrist, <laughs> right. which is positive, but, like, is basically centrist, whereas, like, but because our culture has swung so far, so far to the right, in general, there's not, there's not the balance out. And so I think the same way that we need... You know, we need Emma Goldman's, you know, mm. we need people who are like, like full out radical political thinkers to balance that out. Yeah. And I think and that's and I almost but say, isn't like, that kind of how we ended up with this guy It's because he was so jarring and he like, but but he didn't. I mean, it was like, really, it's like that Bernie got as far as he did. Well, exactly. Because, because people didn't of, want the mainstream. They right. wanted to go to the fringes. Yeah. And that's and that's, you know, and that's the and I think. But I, my hope is maybe this, maybe this is this being, you know, the, the, my optimistic moments are like, well, it's like, well, you know, perhaps things tend to take more radical progressive changes after back. You know, things always go in a pendulum. So if we've gone this far in one direction, maybe we're going to swing, swing that far. I don't know. Or the other side is yeah. the planet will be better off in the long run, the quicker our species goes extinct. Right. So this might speed that up. Uh, I don't know if that counts as optimism, but I'm going <laughs> to present it as optimism. Um, and I say similarly, like I actually feel in an era where people are maybe in an era where the mainstream is so shoved down people's throats, maybe that's a time that people are going to be ready for the kind of work that we make and the kind of artistic processes we're involved in because, you know, all, all they're getting is the sort of YouTube bullshit, you know, like the, 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 the and it's getting worse. Just like you would shit. think the, where everybody said the techno utopist said, Oh, by having open, open information, it's just going to make, no, it just means that people are even more controlled by the, by the filters of the mass shit. media and by the bullshit, you know, and people are just pumping shit. It's, in, and there's in, so in, much. In, yeah. And so maybe in reaction to that, there'll be an interest in what we do because people are, there's going to be a, there's going to have to be, the pendulum's going to have to swing back. And then the other side of it is in, in the post-apocalyptic like world with no electricity and no infrastructure, acoustic improvised music is going to be all people got, man. <laughs> so we're well, going to be I mean, in high demand. <laughs> like people are going to be like knocking down our doors, man. I, I'll tell you this much. Certainly for me as someone who loves music and and a Coltrane solo has never in my life sounded so good as it sounds now. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. it has never sounded so good because it is sitting in this world of shit. Yeah. But that's but we also forget how I mean it's nice having friends who are 30, 40 years older. That's one of those nice things where you yeah. have that perspective. And people say, like, yeah, this is it is reminiscent of the sixties. And a lot of the stuff we love, we forget how like there were like you know, there were like bombings and shootings, and, and they were shooting our leaders. Yeah, like, like you know, like, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Yeah, but everybody was assassinated. You know, Kennedys yeah, was, were both assassinated. It was, it was yeah. crazy. Like that was a crazy era, and it produced the most of the art that still serves as our core template. Like, there's shit I loved in the '80s. There's stuff I loved in the '70s. But we all like at the core, like there's stuff. The stuff that still moves me the most is the stuff that came out of the most disruptive times. So I think that's our challenge as artists now. We're we're in a similarly disruptive time. Yeah, we right. have to we have to double down. We have to fight for it. We have to go for it. You know, and we can't wait for somebody else to give it to us. Like that's when it has to happen. It's more necessary than ever. So, you know, and it's not going to be. And that should be a driving motivation to make some work happen. Not like oh, I got a grant or like oh, I got a you know, or someone offered me a gig. We yeah. should be making work right now because, like, we have to make work right now. Yeah. You know? I'm sorry, you, myself, my, my, my... This, I, you don't have an iPhone. I have a flip phone, yeah. That's my, my, my... It's Tamika Reed. Oh, right. Yeah, well, that's, I, yeah, well, I, I got, got a funny story. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll, I'll call her back later. All sorry right. About that. Well, this was sorry good. We're good. 
Okay, man. Yeah, I love. I have to say, man, I love the like sneak attack start. It's the only you way just, to do it. Yeah, you kind of like honestly, it's the only way to do it. Listeners out yeah. there, like Jeremiah, just kind of leads you in, draws you into a natural <laughs> conversation, and then all of a sudden you're like, we're rolling. Yeah, yeah. Like, But you know, if I if I do it the other way, it's too uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I, I don't I, feel. I, like, I, man, I'm, I'm yeah. impressed. You got chops. Yeah, like, chops. That's, that's dude, smooth. this is like the 150th time I've done this. Wow, that's fucking weird. Wow. Yeah. Impressive, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Let me turn this off. I'm gonna tell you a story. Oh, let me just quickly say thank you to Jeremiah Simmons for making this podcast happen, man. Fight the revolution, make it happen, right on. <laughs> All right, that was Taylor Hobinum. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a lot. That was my, like I said, my first real extended conversation with Taylor, and uh, the conversation kept going after I turned the mics off. Uh, he's 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 an excitable and uh, engaged dude, and I enjoyed that a lot. If you want to find out more about Taylor Hobinum, check out some of his music. Go to taylorhobinum.com. Check out the 5049 website. All the past episodes, about 150 of them are there. So, you know, you should be able to find something that you like. And that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. We'll be back next week with another conversation between myself and another musician. Until then, be excellent to each other. Bye.